would you just take out your handout with me right now, this big piece of paper, and would you read along with me this morning? I want to prepare you for what you're about to experience. I want to prepare you for what you're about to experience. How many, how many are from the Stone Age like me, and you remember the Vietnam War? <laughs> okay, you lived through it. Sure, sure. I, I was a teenager uh, during those terrible, terrible days where each night on the news, we would hear upwards of 500 to 1,000 of our boys being killed in Vietnam every night, every night, every night. The protests and the whole stigma uh, of the Vietnam War. And we need to honor those who served during that terrible, terrible ordeal, that war. In 1969, read with me on your handout, the Vietnam War spills over into the nation of Cambodia. In 1974, then a Cambodian civil war begins with the radical communist Khmer Rouge seizing power. The Khmer Rouge were so evil and so sadistic, they were worse than the Viet Cong, the North Vietnamese. 1975, Khmer Rouge leader Pol Pot's vision is a utopian communist state where everyone is equal. That means if you were in Cambodia during that time, you would immediately either be killed or you would immediately lose your job, lose your position, because the leadership wanted everyone equal. And all of the cities were emptied out and people were moved to these farming labor camps where you would live at a labor camp and do nothing but farming. Pol Pot wanted to isolate Cambodia like North Korea is today and isolate it and have it be self-sustaining and make everyone equal. This was his grand utopian vision of the ultimate of communism. 1976, Cambodia's reign of terror begins as members of the educated classes. Even those wearing eyeglasses are killed in mass genocide. 1976, Cambodia's entire population is forced to relocate to labor camps, the killing fields. About three million people die from starvation, disease, or were executed for merely grieving, complaining, collecting food, or expressing religious faith. This is where the incredible story of Darth Lee begins. At this time, I invite you to view a testimony, a story that will shock you, but I want you to know, for us that live in an insulated bubble here in America, we can't hide our face, we can't live in denial. What we're about to show you and share with you is the truth. Let's Watch that video at this time. Please lower the lights.
1975, a group of radical communists known as the Khmer Rouge came to power in Cambodia, led by an evil man by the name of Pol Pot. I was seven years old when the Khmer Rouge came to power in Cambodia. And at the age of seven years old, I can still remember clearly today, after we spent several days in the bomb shelter, and, and when we came out, we thought the war was over and we can return to our homes. But our nightmares were just began. As they forced us to leave our home, and we walked out from our home with only clothes on our back. You know, I, I remember seeing corpses on the side of the road because these people, for one way or the other, uh, didn't want to leave their home and they were killed on the spot. And so along with everybody, how we marched out from our home. We didn't know where we were going with only the clothes on our backs. They would round people up that had any connection with the previous government. And then they forced these people with their family members to dig these mass graves and then they would line them up in rows and they would take the back of their AK-47 and hit the back of the people's head one at a time and then push them into these mass graves. Many people were still alive and they would simply bury them alive. They would take people with, with their babies and, and, and force the mother to watch as they would take this baby and throw them up in the air and wait with a bayonet at the end of their AK-47. Sometimes they would take these babies and grab them by the feet and smash their head against a trunk of a tree and then toss them into these mass graves and then bury them with their still alive mothers. They would torture people. They came up with ways of, of killings and tortures people. And so in the span of four years, one third of the population was slaughtered. The populations of Cambodia then had over seven million people. As soon as they got into power, as soon as they got control of the capital city, they marched people out from their homes out into the countryside. And so with tanks behind us, they forced us to walk into the countryside. And after about two weeks or so, they round us up and put us in a military truck and shipped us to a different part of the country. And once we were there, they, they came and they removed me from my mother and they sent me to a labor camp for children ages from about seven all the way up to 12 years old. And my sister and mother went to different labor camps. And in the labor camps that I was in to begin with, we had over a thousand children. And even as children, they would force us to work in the rice paddies from sunup to sundown. And through the night if there was a full moon. And for food, we were giving one small cup of rice water. And so masses of people died from starvation. And I was able to stay alive by eating different kinds of insects, different kinds of leaves and barks and, and, and roots that I was able to find in the rice paddy uh, uh, to eat to stay alive. Every day around noon or so, they would select a handful of children and they would bring them up to the front and all of us that were not being selected, they, uh, we were forced to watch as they would torture these children. They would take pliers and pull off their fingernails and toenails and pour salt on the wounds just to make the pain more painful. They would take plastic bags and put over their head and suffocate them and kill them and we were forced to wash their faces. 
and this every day this would take place. One day they select a boy that was working next to me and, and they brought him up front and along with other children and they went and cut a frond from a palm tree that has a sharp jagged edge and they use that and as soldiers pull his arms apart they're trying to de decapitate this boy's head with the front of a palm tree. And of course, just the blood and the scream. And, and I remember so vividly, so clearly, it's imprinted in my mind. They looked at me and they said, don't turn away, we will do that to you. And this would take place every day. They tortured me several times. I remember one day uh, while working in the rice paddies and, and to stay alive, I would constantly, uh, constantly look around and trying to find something to eat in the form of different insects, different leaves and, and grass roots to eat to stay alive. And I saw a snail bobbing in, in the rice paddies there. And before the other children could get to it, and because I was the closest, I, I can get to that snail first. And I pick up the snail and I held it in my hand for, for a good minute because I knew that if I eat the snail, they would probably kill me. But the hunger was so intense that I didn't care whether I die or not. And so I broke the shell off and I ate that snail. And sure enough, they came and along with their AK-47, they carried these bamboo canes. And they came and they t beat me with the canes. And then they tied my feet together and my arms behind my back. And they dragged me across that rice paddy to the place that we would normally come at night to sleep about a half a mile away. And once we got to that place, it was just a hill and, and we slept under a tree. But when we got to that place, they found a tree that was full of these big red weaver ants. And they tied me against that tree and left me there, waited for the rest of the children to come back at night. And once the children came back, they told the children to make a circle around me. And then they untied me from the tree, but my feet were still bound together and they forced the children to come up one at a time and repeat a statement after, after them saying that what I did was wrong, that the children, they would not follow my example. And after they said that, they forced the children to beat me, to kick me into the ground. And then they would pick me up and stood me on my, my feet and then force the next child to come up and repeat the process. Now, at that point, we still had about 500 children left, and I was unconscious some, somewhere uh, in the midst of that process. I don't know how long I was out, but when I came out of it, and, and I remember being so thirsty, and I crawled to, to a, the nearby rice paddy just to drink some water from that rice paddies, and then they came back and, and they found me that I was still alive and they beat me some more. And they said, next time we will kill you. But God has his hand on my life. You know, folks, in that group of about a thousand or, uh, or so children to begin with, four years later when the Vietnamese invaded Cambodia, less than 50 children were still alive. At that point, we were so emaciated, we couldn't walk anymore. Of course, we couldn't work, but nevertheless, they would drag us and place us in the rice paddies just to die, basically. Bombs exploded. Guns went off. We didn't know what was happening, but apparently the Vietnamese had 
invaded Cambodia and they were coming in. And those of us that had enough strength, we found a hole in the ground to hide. We stuck a head in there just to hide and, and several hours had passed when the bombs had ex uh, stopped exploding, we came out and we looked around and we realized that the soldiers that were watching us, they ran away. And so we were left there in the middle of nowhere. And so those of us that had enough strength, we knew where the village was and we began to walk towards that village. And once we got to that village, we found some food to eat different kinds of fruits that we were able to find to eat. But the place was deserted. And so we continued to walk to a bigger town, to the provincial town. And once we got to the provincial town, we saw other people that survived, and they were coming out from the different labor camps in that particular areas. And these people were skin and bone. Many of them could only take several steps, and they had to sit down on the side of the road waiting for somebody to come and, and help them. And so along with everybody else, I sat on that dirt road, looked around and waiting for somebody to come and offer us some food, but no one did. And as I sat there, a woman walked by. And as she walked past me, she turned around and walked back to me and asked what my name was. And after I told her what my name was, she said, she's my sister. And now she's my stepsister, whom I did not know at the time. And then when, when I met her, she began to tell her own story of suffering. She had three children and her husband, and they forced her to watch as they torture and kill her children. And later, she found out that they killed her husband in a different labor camp. And so out of a family of five people, she was the only one to survive. And after she found me, she did not want to go to a home, knowing all her families was all killed. And so we stay in this particular place, and a small group of people had gathered and trying to find food, of course, and then trying to find uh, what we can do afterward. Somebody within that group said we can escape to, to, to Thailand. And so one night we began the journey to walk from where we were towards the border between Cambodia and Thailand, about 200 miles away. We can only walk at night because we have to stay away from the Vietnamese, the Khmer Rouge, and the bandits. Many of these people were just skin and bones, were starving. We found what we could to eat, different leaves, different roots to eat along the way. But the thing was, we had to walk across the jungle that was infested with landmines. And as people would walk in front of me, they would step on these landmines. And, and the landmines would blow up and rip off the limbs. And those of us behind would, would hide. And when we came out, we looked around and, and several people got their limbs blown off. And many times they were st still alive and they would cry for help for us to help, but we couldn't help them. And, and we couldn't even walk around them because all the landmines, we had to walk on top of them to continue on to, to make our journey. And once we got to the border, two weeks later, that small group of, of people, about 100 or so people, only 25 or so were still alive. And once we got to the border, 
the world have heard what happened in Cambodia, the atrocity, the genocide that took place in Cambodia. And so they began to, to set up refugee camps along the border. And we were sent into the camp and, and they gave us some food and some tarf to, to just kind of keep us out of the rain. And then we stayed there. And then they began to ask different countries to take in refugees. And through that process, I was able to come to America at the age of 11 years old as an orphan refugee. But as the Lord would have it, they put me in a foster home, and my foster mother went to an Assembly of God church in St. Paul, Minnesota. And through her love and the love of the people of that church, at the age of 14 years old, even though I did not understand much about God's love, I gave my heart to the Lord. And God just miraculously touched me and healed me. About four or five months after I gave my heart to the Lord, I just one day I realized that all the nightmares I used to, to have, to waking up in, in the middle of the night just in fear and just sweating because I remember what happened to me. All that disappeared. Of course, the memories are still there, but, but just the, the pain and, and the fear that, that come with the memories had disappeared. And I was so thankful to God, and I made a commitment in my heart, and I said, God, if you can use me, I was just a, a child who survived the killing fields of Cambodia and was just a refugee. But if you can use me, I will serve you. And so after high school, I felt that the Lord wanted me to go into the ministry, and so I went to North Central, thinking that perhaps I can plant a church here in the Twin Cities among the Asian communities that we have here in the Twin City. But when I was a senior at North Central, Cambodia opened its door to the outside world. As the, the United Nations was able to, to get different factions to stop fighting and agree to an election, and so they opened the country up, in the Assembly of God, we sent missionaries to Cambodia in 1991. And one of the missionary families, they were from my home church. And he led me to the Lord when I was 14 years old. And because of the relationship that we have, he wrote a letter asking if I was willing to go to Cambodia, to return to Cambodia and spend the summer with him. And when I first got that letter, I said no right away before I even yet have time to, to process and think. I don't want to go back to Cambodia. I wanted to forget about that country. I want to put it behind me as far as I can. I want it to be normal. But he insisted several times, and so out of obligation to him, I reasoned within my mind, I said, perhaps I will go to Cambodia and bring a closure to that part of my life and I can come home. And so I went to Cambodia in 1992 after I fled that country as a child. And once I set foot in that country once again, the memories began to surface in my heart and in my mind. And, and I got to think about my mother, the mother whom I was separated at the age of seven years old by the Khmer Rouge. I had forgotten about her. And, and her memories began to surface in my mind. And I thought perhaps she was still alive. And so I began the search to look for my mother, and two weeks later we found her. And when I went to see my mother for the first time, and after the initial, the emotional impact of the moment, 
word cannot describe it. And as we began to sit down, and she began to share her own story of suffering, of how she was tortured so many times, so many times how she didn't have enough food to eat, even up to the point when I was talking to her. My, my heart was just overwhelmed. The next day, my mother excused herself from talking to me, and, and she went and cooked a little bit of rice that she had saved up. And as I mentioned, she did not have enough rice to eat from day to day, but she saved a handful of rice, and on that day she cooked that rice. I saw a group of Buddhist monks walk by a house, and my mother did not have enough rice to eat. But on that particular day, she saved a little bit of rice, about a handful of rice, and she cooked that rice, and, and she put in a little steel bowl that she had. And my mother walked to meet the Buddhist monks, carry this, this rice in her hand. And as I watched from behind, when she got to the Buddhist monks that were standing in front of her, she put the rice on the ground, and she bowed before the Buddhist monks three times, her face into the ground. And then she got up and offered the rice to them. And in return, the monks said a quick chanting over her, and then they moved on, and my mother walked back to me. And she put the rice bowl next to me, and she sat down on that bamboo bed. And I looked into her face, and I said, Mother, why didn't you just eat the rice yourself? You didn't have enough rice to eat. And at that particular moment, she began to cry to cry, and with tears running down her face, she said, Son, I have known so much suffering in my life. I have no hope of living anymore. And, and from the look of it, from her appearance, I believe her. She said, I, I, I think I'm going to die soon. And then she said, My only hope right now is I would give enough rice to the Buddhist monks that when I die and reincarnate again, I would not come back and live the same life I'm living today. And as I look into the face of my mother, here was a woman who lived through so much suffering. Yet the only hope that she had at that particular moment was a lie from the pit of hell. For the first time in my Christian life, I understood what Jesus was talking about. In John chapter 4, when he said, Open your eyes and look unto the harvest fields. They are ripe for harvest. He was thirsty, he was hungry, but none of those seems to matter to him at that particular moment because he understood what it means to be lost. And for me in Cambodia in that particular moment, I felt the pain in Jesus' heart. And on that particular night, as I forced myself to stay with her, as I lay on that bamboo bed, I could not sleep. All I could do was pray. And I prayed to God like I've never prayed before in my Christian life. And I asked God, and I said, Lord, please do something. Holy God, I don't know what, I don't know how, but please do something to help my mother. And as I was praying that, the Holy Spirit revealed to me that the entire country of Cambodia, every person was in that same condition as my mother. And so I cried even harder. I said, God, God, do something. And as I was crying that in my heart and through prayer, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and he said, 
Jesus Christ did it all. He did it all on the cross. And because of that, I can do something. I can give hope and salvation to my mother and the people of Cambodia. I did not want to hear that because that means that I have to go back to Cambodia. I spent three weeks in Cambodia and I came back to Minnesota and I tried it to forget, but the Holy Spirit won't let it go. And so in 1995, my wife and I, we applied it to HEWM. And uh, in 1996, we went to Cambodia as missionaries and we served uh, first we ran an orphanage and then taught at a Bible school and planning churches. And so we've been serving in Cambodia for the past 15 years. The Khmer Rouge killed one third of the populations of Cambodia. And most people that, that they killed were educated. Those people that they felt that was corrupt by the Western world. If you wear glasses, you would be among the first one to be killed. But today, we have an opportunity to train people that would change the destiny of Cambodia. The Khmer Rouge wanted to change Cambodia. They failed because of their demonic and twisted ideas. But we can change the destiny of Cambodia today through the love of Jesus Christ. And that can only be accomplished through training the young people through our Bible school and through the different programs that we have in Cambodia today. Satan intended for evil in Cambodia, but God is intended for good to accomplish his purpose for his kingdom. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. You know the world the world gives accolades to football stars, Hollywood stars, political stars. But this morning, I want you to take notice and show appreciation to someone who's a real hero in my life. I want to introduce you to Darth Lee right now. Darth, would you come with Pastor Hunt? Thank you. Thank you, folks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor for me to be with you folks this morning to come and share my story of God's grace and mercy and to share the story of what he's doing in the country of Cambodia right now. I do apologize that my family are not here with me. They are in Minnesota, in, in uh, St. Paul there. Thank you, Pastor Phil, for this great opportunity to be with the, uh, with the folks of, of your congregations. Before I begin, uh, uh, we have our prayer cards uh, on, the, uh, on the booth there, uh, in the missionaries booth, and I would plead with you folks to please pick one up after the service so that you can remember us in, in your prayers in the days to come because God answers the prayers of his people. Amen. Amen. Yes. When Jesus began his ministry so long ago, 
when he started his ministry on, on this planet, he started out by quoting the book of Isaiah, saying that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the, the brokenhearted, and set the captive free, and give sight to the blinds. And you think, the thing is, folks, he continues to do that. Yes, and he's doing that in the country of Cambodia today because he came to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted. The message of hope and salvation is being proclaimed in that country of the killing fields today. Living souls are emerging from the killing fields of Cambodia because he came. If you go to Cambodia today, I can take you to places where you can see the blood stains on the tree the mass graves. If you talk to people about the, uh, uh, older than the age of 35, they can tell you the story of how they lost their mother, their brothers, sisters, even the entire family. But out of that, out of that, also there's a message of hope and salvation. Out of that, there's a message of redemption because what the enemy intended for evil in the country of Cambodia, God has intended for good to accomplish his purpose and his will. Right now, we are planting churches in that country. For thousands of, of years, literally, the enemy had complete control of that country. But today, the message of hope and salvation, the light of the gospel is penetrating that dark lands. And God is changing that country. We're planting churches. We're also uh, a build and run schools. We have over 3,000 children that we minister to every day where we give a, a meal to the children, where we give school supplies and, and uniforms and pay the salary of the teachers. Uh, many of these children all across Cambodia did not have an opportunity to go to school because even today, many of the villages, these are villages that has several thousand people that has no school. And so we were able to build some of the schools for the, for the kids. And the, because of that, the kid, uh, these kids are coming to know the Lord by, by the hundreds. And many of them would come against the wishes of their parents because Cambodia is a Buddhist country. 95% of the people today are still Buddhists. And in, in that culture, in that country, uh, in Buddhism, it's more than just a religion. It's part of their own identity. And so they perceive that when somebody comes to know the Lord, they're turning their backs on their, their culture and their people. And so many of these parents would forbid their, uh, their children to come to know the Lord, but these children would come to know the Lord, and out of that we started a church, and every Sunday uh, the children would come and, and, and sing praises unto the Lord, knowing that when they go back home, their parents would beat them. And many times they would withhold food from them. Yet every Sunday, these young people would ride their bicycles for a couple of hours to come and worship the Lord and going back home, getting beat by their parents. But they do not care because they know that God had come and, and touch and change their lives and give them hope and, and, and salvation. And every Sunday, they would do that. It's a humbling experience to watch these kids do that. When my wife and I first went to Cambodia, we were asked by our leadership to run an orphanage. 
it was one of the most difficult things we had to do because what happened at our orphanage, we only had uh, limited capacity in terms of space where we can take in children. But yet every day the people would come and folks, they would bring these babies to us. And they would plead with us to, to accept the baby into our orphanage. But for the most part, we had to send, send them away because we didn't have enough room. Knowing that many of these children will probably die. Their chances for their survival was with us, but we couldn't take them. And in a sense, I was asked to decide which child gets to live and which child gets to die. And folks, that's not something that I could do or any man or woman could do. But yet, we were faced with that every day. One of those mornings, I showed up at the orphanage there was a woman waiting for me at the gate, and before I can set foot on our orf orphanage ground, this woman put a bundle of dirty blankets at my feet, and I knew what was in the blankets. And so I refused to look down, and before she could say anything, I told her that we could not possibly take another child because we were beyond our capacity. But this woman did something that the other people did not do. She got on her knees and with both arms, she wrapped her arms around my leg and she wouldn't let me walk away that I would normally do. And so I was forced to look down and churn up at my feet in that bundle of dirty blankets, there was a child. He was so emaciated that his eyes had sunk in. He couldn't even open his mouth to cry. And the woman looked up at me and she began to tell the story that she's not the mother, that the mother had died during the process of giving birth to this child and there was no other relatives. And so she was forced to accept this child and she didn't have any money to buy proper milk for the child and all she could afford was a little sweet and condensed milk and mix it in dirty water there and fed to the baby. And he was so sick, he could just barely cling on to life. And so as I looked down into his eyes, knowing that we could not possibly take another child in, but there's no way I could turn him away. And so we accept him into our orphanage. And the staff and all of us, we care for that baby. And I wanted so much for him to live. I would give my, my right arm for that child to live. And I pray that God would somehow keep him alive. But sometimes beyond our own understanding, God has his own way. But, and that child passed away a couple weeks later. And I was just crushed. And it seems that all the struggle and the hardship that came to symbolize that one child, and I was just crushed. And it was upon me to find a, a place to bury this little baby. And folks in Cambodia, it's hard to do because it's a Buddhist country, and in, in that Buddhist culture, when somebody dies, they would take the body to the Buddhist temple, and they would have a Buddhist ceremony, and then they would cremate the body. They did not let us do that, because we are believers. And so I was stuck with the body of this child, and I didn't know what to do. And, and I asked the staff, what, what can we do? And and so the staff told me to go to the government officials. And so I went to the government official and I plead with them to please give us a piece of ground where we can bury this little baby. And at first they said no, but I, I reasoned with them, There's, what, what can we do? Finally they said, okay, 
they gave us a piece of ground on top of a hill, overlooked the entire village where we were. And we went up there. And after the older boys had dug a hole in the ground, and we wrapped this baby in now cleaner blankets, and we laid them down, and the staff and the rest of the children stood around that gravesite, and they sang some songs. And when they finished singing those songs, I picked up my Bible, and I opened to the book of Psalms to read. But as soon as I opened my mouth to read a loud, obnoxious, demonic Buddhist chanting sound, and the sound was so loud that I couldn't hear myself read, it seems that the sky had opened up and this demonic chanting was poor upon us. What happened was next to us there was a Buddhist temple and they put a big megaphone on top of a tree and they broadcast this demonic chanting for all to hear and we were right next to it. And I stood there and I didn't know, didn't know what to do as, as the staff looked at me and expect me to direct them to do something. I did not know what to do. I stood there and in my heart I just cried out to God and I said, Holy God, this is so difficult. My God, this is so difficult. I don't know how, I don't know what, but God, help me. And then I said, God, I can't do this. I'm going to go home to Minnesota. I don't know how this day is going to end, but after it ends, we're going to pack up. We're going to go home to Minnesota. And as soon as I said that in my heart, the Holy Spirit prompted my heart to look up. And so I looked up to where that sound was coming from, to the temple. But what I saw was, folks, was people. There were several hundred people. They were marching from the village to the temple, and they were bringing food and whatever they had to the Buddhist monks. And once again, the Holy Spirit reminded me of John chapter 4. When Jesus called his disciple to open their eyes and looked unto the harvest fields. Jesus was hungry. He was thirsty. He was tired. But none of those physical needs could stop him from ministering to the people that were coming. And there I was standing on top of that hill. In the midst of this demonic chanting, the Holy Spirit said, look while I was standing up there, bury that little child whom Jesus loved and died for. The enemy buries hundreds of people. They were marching to an eternal grave without the slightest knowledge of Jesus Christ. And how dare I said, I want to go home. And folks, it was such a conviction that I didn't know what to do. I put my head, my head down and I started to cry. There was a little girl standing next to me. She tucked on my arm a couple times before I can look down. And when she looked up, she looked up at me and she said, Papa, Papa, please don't cry. We will see him in heaven. Her words echoed louder and louder in my heart. And the Holy Spirit said, yes. 
Don't cry. You will indeed see him in heaven. But those people as well, if you're faithful to do the things that I've called you to do in the capacity that I allow you to do and nothing more, because Jesus came to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted and give sight to the blind and set the captive free. And because of that, all he asked that I would do the things that he allows me to do and nothing more. And folks, this morning, the message is the same. He asks us to do the things he calls us to do in the capacity that he allows us to do. And we don't have to put our head down and cry. Sometimes we are overwhelmed with the needs. And, and we wanted to say, God, this is, this is so hard. Yes, it is hard. But we don't have to give up. Because he came. Because he came. All he asks is that we would do the things he called us to do in the capacity that he allows us to do. Pastor, would you come, please? Praise the Lord. Praise Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. It's so easy for us to get in our nice cars and drive home to our nice suburban homes and forget or live in denial of a hurting world, a lost world, a world that Jesus died upon the cross for. We need to be reminded that he did not die just for suburban, nice quaint, sophisticated America, but God's soul loved the world. And he asks us this morning, like Darth Lee, to lift up our eyes and see the fields. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But we serve one <laughs> who's greater. And he has said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And he's given us the privilege to work hand in hand with him. To be light invading the darkness. To feed hungry bodies. And also, most especially, to feed hungry souls. Amen? And this morning, we're going to give you. To me, it's the greatest opportunity that we ever, ever have in the church. And that's to stand side by side with heroes of the faith like a Darth Lee. And on that day of days, be able to say, I was a co-worker. I was a partner, a world partner in being a world Christian and allowing men and women like Darth Lee to have the provision, to have the prayer support, and have the financial support to reach our world for Jesus Christ. Without the Darth Lees, the gospel will not be proclaimed in the Cambodias of this world. Without you and I, the Darth Lees cannot go. Think about it. The Bible says, how will they hear unless someone preaches? How will they go unless someone sends them? This morning, we have the opportunity to be a sending church for the glory of God. 
You have before you this morning two very important documents. One is an adoption guide. It gives you a list of the scores of scores and scores of missionaries and ministries that we support around the world for the cause of world outreach. You also have before you a faith promise commitment card. I've already collected the cards from Solid Rock Cafe, and we're going to be sharing those cards with you. This adoption card, this faith promise card, is a challenge to you and I. It's an opportunity for you to be directly involved in world outreach. It's an opportunity for you to come alongside the Darth Lees of our movement, the Assemblies of God, and partner with them so that they can do what God has called them to do, to be missionaries, to plant churches, to plant orphanages, to teach and train, to feed hungry mouths, and to feed hungry souls. How about it this morning? Will you ask God to tell you what He can do through you? That's important. So many times you'll be tempted when you fill out a faith promise card to look at how much you have in your savings account, how much is coming in every week, what you can do based upon your own financial strength. Don't fall prey to that. What do you believe that by faith God could do through you in one year? What do you believe that God could provide through you, your family, this year for the glory of God? Do you realize this? Do you realize that most of our Christians in the church today in America, we give more to cable TV, we give more to our monthly smartphone bill, we give more, way more, billions of dollars more to our dogs than we give to world missions. God help us on that day of days. I don't know about you, but on that day of days, I want to stand shoulder to shoulder with missionaries and world ministries. And I want the Lord to be able to say to me, thank you, Phil, for allowing them to go. Thank you for being faithful in sending them to fulfill my calling. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. We're going to pray right now. We want you to get ready. We want you to get ready to ask the Lord what you can do in the next 12 months for world outreach. We're also going to give you the opportunity because many of you, you watch the video and you listen to Darth Lee. What can I do right now for Darth Lee's ministry? We're going to collect both a love offering for his ministry in Cambodia and we're also going to collect your faith promise cards. Now hear me in this. We are already committed. We are already committed to 130 plus world missionaries and world ministries. We need to adopt them first. And then once we adopt them, 
we can adopt those that are on our waiting list. Darth Lee, as a brand new missionary for us, even though he's been on the field for nine, since 1995, he's on our waiting list this morning. So once we take care of all of our commitments that we're already committed to, then we can move on to the waiting list and adopt them. What's going to happen when you adopt a missionary? It, 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 it's more than just your finances. It's your prayer support. When you adopt a missionary or ministry, we're counting on you to pray for them. Our missionaries will tell you, your prayers mean more than even your giving. But we do need both. On the card, make sure that you circle your total on what you believe that God can do through you for an entire 12 months. That way our counters, when they come, we can go through the cards very quickly. Circle your 12-month total. And then write down on here what missionary or what missionaries, many of us can adopt more than one missionary, that you're going to be adopting. You're going to be sending. You're going to be praying for what ministry this morning. The children will be coming in in a moment. They will stand in the aisleway. And every time we make an adoption, our children are going to come up here and stand up here on the steps behind me. You'll see the missionary or the ministry that they represent this morning. And I'm praying that every single one of them will be adopted before we leave this morning. Amen? Oh, I, I want, uh, Pastor Hal, would you help me up here, please? To my right, please. God bless you. I want, to, want you to hear what is already been adopted from my first service this morning what has already been given for world outreach five thousand dollars four thousand five hundred dollars three thousand nine hundred and sixty dollars three thousand six hundred and forty dollars two thousand four hundred dollars two thousand four hundred dollars two thousand four hundred dollars one thousand eight hundred dollars five thousand dollars from men's ministry praise the Lord for world outreach in the next 12 months to come. Let's give God the glory. Amen. That's from our early morning service. Amen. You can see here, not equal amounts, but what we're asking for is equal sacrifice. Equal sacrifice. When you are really in love with what Jesus is in love with and what's Jesus in love with lost souls a lost world when you're really passionate about what God's passionate about you step out of the box it's not a miracle it's not real faith unless you step out of what you can really do don't look at your bank account believe God for a miracle through your life now don't write down a million dollars unless that's reasonable faith you hear me in this 
that's reasonable faith for the glory of God. Don't be haphazard, yet don't be a miser. Don't be a, a Christian Scrooge. What do you believe God could do through you in reasonable faith over the next 12 months? I'm going to pray in just a moment, but first of all, we want to welcome in our children from our Children's Missions Parade. Are they ready out there, ushers? They should be ready. Are they out? Come on. I need an usher to talk to me. Yes? No? Maybe. Let's bring, bring them on in. Bring them down the center aisle. Amen. Bring them down the center aisle. Help me out, Larry. Open up those doors. Center aisle. Beautiful. 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 Welcome, Pastor Randy and the children and the young people of Lakeside Assembly of God. You can sit down. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Help me out, Cindy, as they come. Ask of me, and I will give the nations. said I'm going to pray right now and I'm going to pray that you'll be guided not by flesh but by faith in the name of Jesus what do you believe that you can do over the next 12 months in the greatest opportunity that will ever be given you on this life this side of eternity what do you believe that God can do through you for world outreach for all of his glory let us pray father in the name of Jesus help us not to be guided by flesh but to be guided by faith help us Lord not to be one of those statistics that gives more to our dog than to a lost world oh God let this be the greatest missionary service that Lakeside has ever witnessed ever experienced for the glory of God in the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen and amen.